you miss out on so much at home. And I don't think that is talked about enough. I think the fact that you miss friends' birthdays and weddings and baby showers and anything and everything that's important. I um, was on a project last year in April that I was really excited about in Switzerland and my mom had a heart attack. And being on the other side of the planet and feeling so helpless is a feeling that you'll never forget. Those are the trade-offs that kind of come with it. Those are moments that allow you to kind of look at your priorities and evaluate, you know what, is being away from home three and a half weeks a month worth it? Is this the balance that I was looking for? This is Debbie and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey everyone, welcome back. This week I'm really excited to speak with Marissa Anwar, who holds a PhD in genetics and is the managing director of Darling Escapes, one of the first women travel groups created on Instagram, and they're currently sitting at over 415,000 followers. Marissa was raised in a multi-ethnic household, being a mix of Middle Eastern and Brazilian. She aims to explore the world and show that you do not have to be from the Western world or Caucasian to travel. Aside from travel, Marissa is also an expert in biotech, telecommunications, and blockchain. She was named one of the top eight women in blockchain in 2018. I can keep going on and on, and I'll probably be here all day listing Marissa's amazing talents and accolades, but I can truly say that she is one of the most business-savvy women I know and also the loveliest. She's truly someone I aspire to be when I grow up, and I'm so lucky and excited to be able to share this interview with one of the most amazing women I know. So friends, listen on as we learn how Marissa has been able to tackle multiple industries and do it successfully. I am here today with Marissa from Darling Escapes. Hey, Marissa. Hi. <laughs> Are you nervous? A little bit. <laughs> She, she, before we started this, she was like, I'm really nervous. How many people are going to listen to this? I'm like, not enough. <laughs> so uh, Marissa and I know each other from Jacob and Esther of localadventure.com. They've pretty much introduced me to like incredible people like Marissa. So thank you, Jacob and Esther. Are they your favorite bloggers, Marissa? <laughs> It's not fair because they're in the other room. <laughs> that is a very awkward position for me to be in right now. For the record, Jacob had to be asked me that question. So, yes, they definitely are my favorite bloggers who have the words local and adventure in their name. For sure. And they're also my favorite ones who live in Vegas. Also, the only bloggers I know who live in Vegas, but... We can we can skip over that part. We can digress, yes. And also the fact that they're listening in the other room is also... <laughs> and their cats are staring right at us. Hi, pressure. Sebastian. So much pressure. So, Marissa, you are really successful, not just in the blogging community, but you also do so many things that I don't think many people really know about who are following you. So, can you tell us your story and how you became a huge brand from Darling Escapes and also what else you've done that made you this successful? Wow. Now I want to be really <laughs> humble. 
Um, I'm originally from a city right outside of Toronto called Waterloo. Raised there pretty much most of my life. Um, I went to school there. I did my postgraduate degrees there. And I worked full-time during school as well. Uh, and I started in the blogging world, actually, in personal finance. Back in 2000, and I want to say 10, maybe 11, when you're doing your doctorate and you're broke all the time, you find other like-minded people who are also broke, <laughs> and you tend to write about that. Um, personal finance, in particular, was such an interesting niche at that point because there was maybe seven of us in Canada at the time, three girls, four guys. Some of them are still around, actually, and they've built really successful brands off of them. I started writing about that, and after a while, when I graduated and I started working in pharma and biotech, I wasn't necessarily broke anymore, but my spending habits were a little more frivolous. So I wanted to write a little bit more about lifestyle. And we started a site, me and a few other actually personal finance bloggers started a site called Chic Darling. And it kind of took off from there. So Darling Escape is actually a niche down version of Chic Darling. Chic Darling was fashion, beauty, travel, lifestyle, pretty much every, anything and everything that you can think about from a millennial post-grad uh, female. Like that's what that's the type of content that we had created where Darling Escapes was primarily travel. It started off as an Instagram account. I want to give a shout to Anastasia from Dame Traveler. She was <laughs> definitely an inspiration when that came out. And I think she's an inspiration for a lot of the female feature accounts as well. Mm -hmm. um, she's the reason why I think a lot of communities are built and a lot of hashtag usage and things like that that you see on Instagram right now, especially with female travel and female travel with pretty dresses in really nice <laughs> locations. She's definitely one of the pioneers in that industry, so definitely credit to her from that end. On the career side of it, I, like I mentioned, I worked in biotech, I worked in pharma. I've pretty much stuck in the tech side of this, but sometimes in marketing, sometimes in innovation. So I've worked anywhere and everywhere that you can think of. Um, I did a stint with UNWTO for a year and a half. That got me around the world. I did, I ran agencies inside of agencies. I've led innovation teams. And basically, I've been very fortunate. Um, I've had fantastic mentors along the way. Um, a lot of them are female. And I try to do my very best to kind of give back to the community when it comes to that. Um, just because, especially in tech, you realize that there's not a lot of female female mentors that kind of hold you by the hand and help you get to the next level when you want to and that career path has actually worked alongside darling's escapes as well um what you're gonna see is a lot of content for the late 20s early 30s where you may not necessarily have kids but you have the money to kind of go and spend and take those vacations and you don't want to be stupid with your money but you want to be spending Wisely. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to experience affordable luxury where the hotel that you're sleeping in at night is not a hostel. Yeah. And you're not taking seven layover flights to get to the next destination. Things like that. I think because myself and my team were all in our late 20s, early 30s, the content that we kind of create is targeted to that. And I think that's what why it resonates a little bit more. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yes, it has. Well, the thing that's really interesting about you too, and Marissa invited me on this incredible trip with her. We were with Royal Caribbean and now we're in Vegas and we went to California, is that you have so many different aspects about you that are 
really incredible because you also are an expert in blockchain and you're an expert in the travel industry and in artificial intelligence. So it's like this woman who is just so incredibly smart. And then you actually went back to a day job, even though you're running the successful company because you didn't want to be outside of that whole industry. You wanted to be kept informed. So a lot of the times the people that I interview want to leave their nine to five and you did it because you wanted to, because you enjoy it so much. And I tell people all the time, you don't necessarily have to leave your nine to five. A lot of people don't enjoy it. But if you're lucky enough to have an industry and something that you're really passionate about, like you have, obviously, you don't have to leave it to travel and do all of these other things. It could be a hobby. But you went back to a day job. I mean, don't get us wrong. You got paid very well for it. (laughs) But you also do it because you want to learn more and you want to continue to keep learning. And not a lot of people do that. So that's really interesting. Now, why do you keep doing that? And why do you keep wanting to go back to that industry? Is that something that you're going to think about later on and maybe leave the travel industry and go to that permanently? Like, what do you think you're going to do? Oh, that's a, that's a very, very good question. So I want to kind of circle back to, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in AI, <laughs> nor would I consider myself an expert in blockchain. I'm lucky enough to be one of the very few females in the industry. So when lists come out in terms of top women and whatever, there's not a lot of us, um, especially She's when blockchain. She's being humble right now. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm being completely genuine. I think when I ended up on a couple of lists, it was because there was maybe a handful of us around. I work in innovation. My my bread and butter is connecting people and finding different cool things to kind of connect and see where projects can grow and they can succeed. That's the thing that I'm really passionate about. But to answer your question more directly, tech in particular is an industry where if you're out of it for too long and there's a gap on your resume, it's really hard to come back in. And part of the projects that I take are mostly consulting bases. So I'll take something that's six months to eight months long and I'll take four months or three months to myself. And part of the reason why I do that is one, I want to be, as you said, kept up to date to the industry, but two, you're as valuable as your connections and your network. And if I have old bosses or old colleagues who call me up and want me on a project that is lucrative enough, it's worth my time and I'll learn something out of it, that is always worth the time investment in it because that's going to help me down the road. And one of the other challenges or one of the other points that I, I pay attention to is I'm in my 30s, I'm mid 30s as I'm assuming some of your listeners might be. And blogging, as wonderful as it is and as enriching as it could be and as fun as it is traveling, I don't know if this is something I want to do when I'm 40 or 50. And I don't know where the state of the industry is going to be. I don't know if I'll have kids, I'll have the capacity to do it or the time to do it, nor will I be saving as much for my retirement down the road as I would be if I'm back in the industry and I can aggressively put something aside for that. So it's not a two or three year jump. I try to think of stuff between like a five to 10 to a 15 year plan in terms of where I want to be and what I want to be doing. And then if blogging itself is the thing that I want to focus on, I need to know that there's longevity in it. It's wonderful because we're small businesses in our own capacity and we can grow and we can shrink as much as we want. But at the at the end of the day, there's no guarantee that Google tomorrow isn't going to 
do our job and take blogs away completely or get rid of cookies so you can't do affiliate marketing as effectively as we're able to. There's a lot of variables that are going on in the industry. So keeping one eye on this and bringing a team that can help scale to the rate that I want to scale, but also keeping myself in an industry that I'm genuinely passionate (laughs) about and I'm curious about that makes the balance worthwhile for me. And I really love that you are thinking about the future and what's ahead because I think a lot of us don't do that. And you definitely think ahead and you have a plan. You have to. <laughs> Honestly, I I think yourself as well. We went to school for a really long time not to have an end goal in mind or a game plan in mind. I'm particularly lucky because Canadian university education doesn't necessarily cost as much as American university education does. But that's still... 10 years of my life, nine years of my life in post-secondary education that I want to be able to make sure that something came out of it. Now, pharma in particular wasn't necessarily the thing that I, the place I wanted to be. And it's fine. It may not be for everyone, but the skills and the, the, the critical thinking skills that I took away from that can be applied to anything. I think we forget that if you work in a consulting world the way that I do and you take three or four or five months off, but you make a, can I say on your pod. Yeah, go ahead, okay. girl. <laughs> <laughs> you get a ton of money doing that and doing something that you're passionate about. You can have those luxury travel experiences or that luxury lifestyle that you wanted to. And you don't necessarily have to limit yourself to only making blogging income, for example. Yeah, it's, it's really true because you can have a balance of that and you don't need to constantly be nomadic. You can have a career outside of this. And also to be location independent and to be a digital nomad, there's a lot of tech companies oh, so that are many. hiring. So many. Right? And you do a lot of traveling. <laughs> you do a lot of traveling for your company right now and you're not necessarily just stuck in one place. You do travel a lot for it, especially since you're based in Toronto. So that's also really good if you find something like that, especially now there's so many different things that's available to us. One thing that you did mention was you're a connector. That is very true because on this trip, you knew everybody. I'm not even kidding. Marissa knew everyone and she knows how to connect people. Now for somebody, not just in the blogging community, but if you're also a digital nomad wannabe or a freelancer, if you are now, how can you become more of a connector in that sense? Because that could be really intimidating for a lot of people, you know, that takes you out of your comfort zone a lot of times. Honestly, being a connector essentially means being genuinely interested in other people's growth and being happy for your friends and making sure that they are just as empowered to do the things that they want to do. Because at the end of the day, you are as good as your network. And that means that I can connect you and say, Jacob, for example, if you if you didn't know each other. And I may not get anything out of it, but two of my friends and people that I care about are going to grow as a result of it. And that's worth its weight in gold because sometimes that comes back to you. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I end up connecting somebody else and that comes full circle. More than anything else, I think it's being curious about people and figuring out what their needs are. Uh, My first job in university, I guess, when I was 18, I started uh, at a company called Rogers Communications and it was a sales job. And they taught us four quadrants that you have to know when you're trying to sell somebody something. And it's basically knowing who the decision maker is, knowing what the budget is, knowing what their needs are, and then knowing what the timeline is. Relationships, as much as I hate to say it, 
are sales transactions. Somebody gets something out of it, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's monetary, whatever it may be. And it has to be balanced. At the end of the day, everybody has to walk away from that interaction feeling like they didn't lose anything and they gained something out of that. And if it's one-sided, it doesn't always work. I wish I had more tangible tips. What I would recommend, though, is there's a book called How to Make Friends and Influence People, I believe. Yeah, How to Win Friends and Influence yep. People. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Um, That's one of the best books, It is honestly. such a great book. And it's so funny. Sometimes when you read that book, I, I feel like that book you should read in small increments and really, really... Exercise. Yes, exercise it. Because if you just read it through really fast, you're not going to be able to use it fully. Like, it's power. Yeah. It's really incredible. It's such a great book. Between that one and Franklin Covey's Habits of Highly Successful People, I think Seven Habits of Highly Successful mm-hmm. People, has taught me time management like nothing else. And again, I got that. I was 21 maybe, and they had a manager's training back in my first like full-time grown-up job. And they taught us how to basically learn how to manage 30 people or 25 people at a time. That and Dale Carnegie's both of them fantastic books honestly regardless of what career you're in that will help you just learn how to deal with people better and that book is such an easy read too because he gives so many different examples of how it worked and how people have used certain tactics Absolutely. and it's all genuine relationships it's not like fake you know what I mean you like you said you really have to be interested in someone for them to internalize that and appreciate it and trust you because it's also a lot of you know all relationships are based on trust if you don't have that then you know people will will know and they won't do anything with you whether it's business or relationships so you I mean it's really incredible all of these things that got you here because of your relationships with people do you have an example of a worst thing that somebody could do that maybe you've experienced before or like a mistake you've done throughout this journey that you've had I think it's not the worst thing but I I see this quite often and I I cringe at it sometimes as well. And I'm pretty sure I I probably have done it when I was younger as well, which is your first interaction with somebody is going for the ask. And that could be something as simple as asking somebody to do you a favor or not inquiring about whether that's they're in the right headspace or mental space or physical or emotional, whatever that may be. I think... I don't have a tangible example, and honestly, even if I did, I wouldn't really want to add them, <laughs> to, be, to be quite frank. Um, what I do want to, I guess, touch on on a broader level is understanding emotional spaces a lot more than I think we do right now, is understanding what headspace somebody's in when you're trying to interact with them. I think that is so undervalued and so discredited sometimes. If I'm going through something at work or if I'm going something through my family, I'm not going to react to your ask or to your attempt at building a relationship the same way as I would if I'm on top of the world. Um, So to be able to kind of learn those cues as well and give people space, I think, is extremely valuable and extremely important. And I think that comes with age. Mm -hmm. You you become a little bit more emotionally intelligent. Um, But I guess some of the worst, not worst, but some of the cringy things I've seen is not recognizing people's headspace. Now, throughout this whole journey that you've had, because you pretty much have lived like a hundred different lives at this point, <laughs> and you're only in your 30s, what has been the 
I guess, biggest setback that you've encountered? And how do you usually handle these types of setbacks? The biggest setback that I encountered, I think it was after grad school, going into the industry, having completely different expectations than what the reality was. And I, I was in the industry for, I think, about a year and a half. And I checked out. I checked out and needed to take a sabbatical. It ended up being lucky because I ended up across the pond in Europe for what was supposed to be a six-week trip. Ended up being about nine months of just wandering around Europe and making connections and meeting people and um, seeing that. And then I ended up working for the UNWTO um, as a result of a connection, actually sitting at the wrong table for (laughs) dinner one night. But there's a silver lining there. And I think I'm more fulfilled now creatively and intellectually not being in the industry. But at that point in time, when you're fresh out of grad school and you feel like you spent a lot of your career, a lot of your time, money, mental capacity, thinking you're going to be in a specific industry and having it just crash and burn at that point in time was a little heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. And it really did make me question a lot of the decisions that I had made at that point. But it worked out. And honestly, everything works out at the end of the day. You just have to be able to regroup and reevaluate. It's so important to really remember that, that everything happens for a reason and we learn from everything, especially mistakes. And I think sometimes we just look at what's happening in front of us and we don't appreciate everything else that comes with it. Even the mistakes we make, the failures that happen to us or that's happened. And you learn so much from it. And that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest takeaway. And that's actually the biggest growth we actually go into is after the failures and the mistakes. Now, you are one of the leading people in the travel community right now because of the community you built with Darling Escapes. How do you make the decisions that you make? Because you're very smart with your decisions when it comes to whether it's marketing or collaborations or working with different brands and even other people in the community, how do you know what decisions to make and which path to go into every time you're faced with one? I mean, even just growing this community, it's a huge feat. It's a huge thing that you were able to do. Thank you. For us, The beauty of Darling Escapes in particular is that we cater to people just like us. Uh, My team is about six. They're kind of spread all over the world, but they were all in the same age range. So it makes it really easy to, when we're we're thinking of brand partnerships or we're thinking of destinations that we want to work with, it really is thinking, would my friends want to do this? Would we want to do this? Is this something that we would use? To have an insulated focus group or target group that's basically yourself makes it a lot easier to make those decisions because you know that how you can see how it would impact you directly versus an abstract group of people that may not necessarily may or may not be your target audience that's made it relatively easy for us to scale and i'm gonna say this and i you may get some pushback i've worked in marketing capacities before marketing isn't necessarily rocket science however you have to be strategic about it you have to feel who your client is and understand who you're targeting to. So once you have that ideal client avatar, you'd be surprised at how easy it is to make yes or no decisions because you know Sally is not going to be the one who's going to go on a monster truck rally. Like it's just not her niche. 
uh, it's not something that she would do on her bachelorette. So that's not a partnership that we'd like to pursue. She would, however, like to go to Myrtle Beach, for example, for a bachelorette. She'd like to go to like Panama City Beach, things like that. It just it makes it a little bit easier when you know who your client is. And we started it from day one based on people like us, regardless of your age and sex or whatever. It is North American females because that's what we know in it. We know what your income levels are. We know where your age range is. We know what part of the countries you possibly could be living in. And we know what your interests and hobbies are. Obviously, if you're following a site called Darling Escapes, travel is something that's important to you and it may be a priority in your spending. So we like to offer suggestions that make that a no-brainer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, how do you actually create this avatar? How do you know that this is what your audience wants? How do you find these metrics so that you can have an easier way to create products for your audience? Well, in an ideal situation, you'd have your avatar before you started building your brand. Um, That's usually marketing 101 is know who you're marketing to. But if you've stumbled onto a brand, for example, or you've created a brand without having a clear distinction, the easiest or one of the easiest things would be surveying your audience, whether it's Instagram stories or whether it's doing a pop-up or whether it's your email list or whatever it may be. There's multiple vessels to kind of get gauge interest in terms of where your audience is. Um, a second one or would be analytic tools that you have access to. In this case, Instagram may not necessarily have the best analytic tools, but like Forecard does. So you'll be able to kind of pull some of the data off of that. And the interesting thing with Forecard, just to go off a quick little tangent, is it'll actually tell you what other products your audience might be interested in as well. So it gives you a better idea of like where sponsor opportunities might be. And Google Analytics definitely gives you like where your readers are coming from, age ranges, things like that. Um, A key thing to pay attention to is what your return users are versus your new. So you know where the overlap is and how many people are continuously keep coming back as well. And those are your true fans. The sooner you build an avatar, the better it is because it helps you shape those decisions down the road um, and create products that would fit as well. And like sometimes when you know, when you feel like somebody's speaking directly to you, Mm -hmm. you feel a lot more engaged. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's so much easier that way. And I've talked to a lot of people who don't know who their niche is and they don't really have a niche market and it becomes all over the place. You don't know who you're selling to. Your audience becomes really confused and it's harder for you to reach out to brands and do collaborations because of that. Now, we talked about your marketing skills. And I want to plug Jacob because before we go into the next thing is that he he helped us with our negotiation skills. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I have been raving about their e-course and I'm gonna put another link on this episode for that because he has helped me so much. And a lot of podcasters, in my industry really don't know how to create income. And one of the biggest reasons that I actually created income from this and knew how to negotiate was because of his help because of the e-course. And he's done the same thing for you. And for someone who's a huge expert in the industry, and you are already a great negotiator for Jacob to come in and for you to make more. I mean, that's incredible. Absolutely. (laughs) I think I met Jacob in 2015 or 16 and I was blown away by just how professional and how diligent and methodical 
he is in all of his interactions with whether it's brands or whether it's colleagues or whatever it may be. And as as prideful as one could be thinking you know everything, um, <laughs> along comes Jacob Fu with his course and you sit there and you realize, you know what, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table and there's better ways to do things. Sometimes you just don't know. Um, I've worked on the other side of it from from the brand's perspective where we have a budget that we basically have to allocate out. And when I ran an influencer agency, it was, this is what your budget is. But to see it from Jacob's perspective and to be able to kind of allocate it, it's it's different. It's fascinating. And like our income level, our revenue, not necessarily income, our revenue has gone up significantly based on how we've structured our packages with his feedback and his insight into how it works out for him. So yeah, I'll second you on that or third yeah. or fourth or fifth or whoever yeah. else is listening to that. That course is worth its weight in gold. And I think if you're smart about it, you can probably make your money back with one oh, deal yeah. or more. For sure. Based on where that is. Yeah, like what you're doing. It's crazy. I've talked to other people who have taken his course. I mean, I made it like w- crazy amount from it, like after just two weeks of watching all of the e-course. And it was incredible. I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. This really works. And, you know, there's e-courses that you do it and nothing happens. Um, but again, you have to listen to what he says. Yeah, <laughs> You can't just watch it and be like, how come nothing is happening? You really have to take in his feedback or you know what he's teaching you in that sense. So Marissa, because you are an expert in marketing and funnels, we're going <laughs> to be talking about marketing funnels for any freelancers, bloggers, creatives for our extended interview. So make sure you all listen to that because she's going to be giving us tips. And I'm really excited for this too, because I need to learn from you on this. So that's going to be really exciting. So going back to creating income, what and how are you able to create income when you first started this business? And how do you continue to create income today? Oh, so when I first started, it was, like I said, back in 2010, 2011. It was a lot of sponsored posts, a lot of sponsored posts, AdSense. Yeah, those two. And we had networks where everybody would share contacts in terms of like, if a, if a brand rep reached out and they said, we wanted to do a sponsored post on one site, you'd refer them to three or four or five of your friends and take a commission off of that, like a 10% or a 15% on the side to basically be the connector in in between that. So that was back in the day and my oh my have things changed <laughs> since then. So these days there's a couple of different, well, there's so many different ways to basically generate revenue. So ours primarily is brand ambassadorships, um, ad revenue, affiliates, and then partnerships. What that would mean is working with a destination or working with a product in order to showcase it, anything and any, everything on that end. And we are working on um, doing our own products, but they're going to be experiential versus digital. So we want to be able to, whether it's take people out on tours or do retreats or do something online where they're able to experience things a little bit better, um, we're experimenting on that end of it. What we didn't want to do is just jump into the industry just because everybody else was jumping in the industry. Um, actually, so side little tangent, an old mentor of mine made this point and it, it stuck with me. She said it, I think, two years ago, and it stuck with me since till that or since then. She <laughs> said, you can work your ass off and build a 20 percent company that's that generates a million dollars a year and your take home is 200K. Or you can work your ass off and have a three person company that generates 300 or you can work a little more moderately and have a more balanced life and generate 300,000 and your take home is still 200,000. So it's knowing where 
what your goals are and knowing what you want to scale to as well. We can obviously go pedal to the metal and blow it out of the water, but it doesn't necessarily make sense for us at this point in time. Our team is relatively small. We like it that size. It makes sense for us in order to be agile, in order to test different things. And honestly, without testing, there's a lot of wasted time and wasted money going into products if we didn't do that. But we're lucky because we have a solid foundation of where revenue is coming from and we wanted to make it as passive as we can or a good chunk of it as passive as we can just in case somebody's not online or something goes, something happens or brands run out of money at the end of the year mm-hmm. and you have to kind of wait it out until the next cycle and just being able to make sure that my staff is paid is a priority. And I love what you just said about it's not necessarily just because you're making more revenue doesn't mean your take home is going to be even more. And it's a lot more headache. Remember Mm -hmm. that to be able to go to that level. So even if you're making a little bit less, is the stress worth it, you know, for you to do that? And what's your life like, you know, are you going to be able to enjoy it? Are you going to be able to spend time with your loved ones? And that's really important. And I think that's what we all underestimate before going into this industry is how much sacrifice you have to make to get to the level you want to be in. And if you keep sacrificing, there's certain things that you're going to definitely lose that you may not want. So just a heads up on that. (laughs) Because even though Marissa's life looks really beautiful, (laughs) it's not always like that in real life, right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. There's It's 60 to 70 hour work weeks. Like I said, I have a wonderful team who manages a lot of things behind the scenes. But even just combining freelance blog travel with day job travel, you miss out on so much at home. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is talked about enough. I think the fact that you miss friends' birthdays and weddings and baby showers and anything and everything that's important. I um, was on a project last year in April that I was really excited about in Switzerland and my mom had a heart attack while I was away. And being on the other side of the planet almost and not and feeling so helpless is a feeling that you'll never forget. And like those are the trade-offs that kind of come with it. And those are those are moments that allow you to kind of look at your priorities and evaluate, you know what, is being away from home three and a half weeks a month worth it? Is that balance really is this the balance that I was looking for? So quality of life, again, it may be an age thing. Maybe I'm just getting old and our gray hairs are showing. Yeah. And that's something that you start paying attention to. I think a lot of my friends are getting married. A lot of them are having kids. My godson is, I'm going to date myself, but my godson <laughs> is like 14 now. His dad had him very young. I just want to say that. <laughs> um, he's 14 now. And there's chunks of time that I missed watching him grow and that I'm never going to get that back. And I don't want to do that moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's why when you're planning all of these things, you do think about that. You're yeah. you're thinking about the future. And you're right. Maybe it's because it is our age. We're in our 30s. <laughs> 
And you and I and a lot of people who are interested in traveling have traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. And it may seem really great, like this nomadic lifestyle. And then you actually start doing it and it gets really exhausting. You miss so many things. It's not as glamorous as it looks. And then you look back at everything and like, but you know, there's a good and a bad to it. It's yes. It's a balance, definitely. It a balance. honestly is a balance. We lived in five countries by the time I was 12. So travel is, as my mom likes to say, in our DNA. <laughs> but there's a way to do it responsibly and a way to make sure that you keep your life at home if it's important to you. If it's not important to you and you don't, if it's a bad situation or a toxic situation and you need to get away from it, that's a completely different story. But if the life that you've built at home is something that you cherish and your family is important, sacrifices sometimes have to be made. And unfortunately, too many of us chase the shiny object across the globe and you come back. And I, I'm guilty of it. I came back. I've done four, six to nine month backpacking trips that weren't really backpacking trips. And I've come back in relationships have been strained. And it's taken me months to years to kind of rebuild those back up. I've missed so many things. I've missed like surprise engagements of my best friend, mm -hmm. things like that, that you don't necessarily think about, but it, the opportunity cost is still there. Yeah. And those are moments that you'll never be able to get back. So you just have to know where your priorities are. And if that's important to you, then be smart about it. Yeah. And just know you need to go into it with your eyes wide open. Absolutely. Because there's going to be a lot of missed opportunities, even though one thing is going well, another thing may not. It may suffer. So, Marissa, let's look forward to 30 to 40 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? Ooh. Well, as we mentioned today, I'd like to be on Forbes 100 under 100 list. <laughs> we don't know if that exists yet, but we're hoping Forbes Forbes is listening and they're interested in doing something like that. <laughs> um, I missed my 30 under 30 and I don't think they have a 40 under 40. Honestly, I want to be known as somebody who is compassionate, somebody who is worthy of people's time, and somebody who did the best they can and may not have been perfect all the time, but they they did the best they can. 40 years down the road, I mean, who knows the way global warming's going, we may not even be alive. <laughs> Don't so, say that. Oops. <laughs> but more than anything else, I I want to make if I do make an impact on someone's life, I need I want it to be emotional more than monetary or physical or anything along those lines. And if interactions with me are something that makes somebody feel good at the end of the day, that's worth it to me. Yeah. And I think it's really, it shows when we see you is because you, again, you're a connector and you really care about people and just helping. So it's really great that you have that already and you're starting that. You've already done it. So it just keeps Thanks, going. Debbie. I'm not paying her to say this. <laughs> Maybe later. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are you excited about that you're currently doing? Hmm. A lot of things. I'm excited about life in general. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm genuinely excited about, as a Canadian, we don't have nice summer. <laughs> we don't have nice weather, <laughs> mostly. Um, I'm excited about summer at home. Mm hmm I'm excited about a few products that we're about to launch. I think I think they have potential. We're going to test it and we're going to focus group it. Um, I'm excited about some of the cool things I'm doing in my day job. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited 
have some friends who are doing some amazing things and I'm excited for them. My One of my really close friends is getting married this summer. I am fortunately or unfortunately for her, the maid of honor. <laughs> and I'm excited about that. Honestly, I'm excited about life. Yeah. I think two, 2018 was a rough year for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of heartbreak and career setbacks and anything and everything you can think of for a lot of friends, actually. And I think 2019 has been the uptick yeah. on that. Hopefully uh, it just keeps going up. Af- yeah, <laughs> hopefully it does. And I'm hoping 2020 will be better. <laughs> you know? Than this year too. That's from your lips. <laughs> so if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Darling Escapes across the web. My personal Instagram is marissa.anwar and if you're really curious you can find me on linkedin (laughs) but i don't recommend that (laughs) but honestly if anybody has questions instagram or email would probably be the best perfect thank you marissa for doing this you did not sound nervous at all and also i want to congratulate us and also esther for surviving like all these days and like with us two weeks together and we haven't killed each other good job yay (laughs) i was thinking about that we did we did eight days eight days of just three girls who've never traveled together and nobody killed each other nobody was was dead when we woke up in the morning so yeah that was pretty good we snored a little bit but that's okay fun fact (laughs) oh no no that wasn't us that wasn't us that was the third person (laughs) thank you marissa for being here and it's so awesome to be doing this podcast in jacob and esther's uh who are my favorite travel bloggers with local (laughs) adventure Her favorite travel bloggers are Jacob at local, uh, localadventure.com, localadventure.com, localadventure.com. Go visit the site. Subscribe. Okay. I don't think we're going to break down your website like your other podcast that you were in, Jacob. So, <laughs> but that was a really good one. Thank you for that. That was Jacob Fu if from guys- localadventure.com. <laughs> just in case you didn't catch that yeah yeah, I don't think anyone heard that (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this interview with Marissa make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com again that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Marissa where she shares how to use marketing funnels for freelancers Hey, Offbeat family, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I would love to hear more from you and what you think of the podcast. Suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, or maybe you just want to be friends. Why don't we chat some more on Facebook at The OB Life or send me a message at hello at theoffbeatlife.com. I can't wait to hear from you.